I'm Gemma Murna and welcome to episode four of my brand new Mind and Wellness podcast. We've been hearing about experiences from a variety of guests and experts and I've been sharing some of my own stories, all with the aim to improve everyday life. We've looked at the effects of stress in episode one, fitness and nutrition in episode two, and now we've had a focus on living with and how every day can be a battle, but one that a diagnosis won't come between you and your life. Last time we spoke to actress Holly J. Bowes and her late in life diagnosis with ADHD and autism. Today we speak to a fantastic inspirational woman, Beth Costello a personal trainer from Liverpool, who only aged 24 has faced some life-changing events from learning to walk again and coming through a cancer battle. The Mind and Wellness Podcast with Gemma Murna. So today on our podcast, we have got Beth. So me and Beth have been training together the past couple of months and after speaking to Beth, getting to know her and following her Instagram, she's so inspirational. I just need to get you on this podcast and just tell us your story. So yeah, welcome Beth, first of all. Hello, (laughs) thank you for the lovely introduction. Like I just said, you're very inspirational. Your Instagram is very open and honest and beautiful. I wanted to get you on here because I want more people to be like you Mm. and like me, where we are quite open. We tell people our stories, quite vulnerable, and I think it helps people out. So yeah, I just want you to start wherever feels comfortable for you of your story. To follow that point up, I agree, being more open and you find that more and more people agree with you. That is one thing I found from being more open on Instagram. Yeah. Just people respond and be like, oh, I completely agree, but I don't really speak about it because I don't think anyone feels the same. And more often than not, even if it's the most bizarre thing ever, someone definitely feels the same. Yeah. There's been kind of probably a build of about 10 years of what's kind of brought me up to where I am now, mm-hmm. which is a personal trainer in the gym that we met. I think everyone's kind of wellness mental wellness starts in high school albeit people don't like to agree the fact that you kind of build your character from quite a young age even down to childhood but high school I definitely start a lot of my building as a person who I am today I had quite a hard time in school so I was Mm. picked on quite a lot being a little bit bigger redheads never have a good time in school unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) so that was an experience in itself I was actually quite poorly when I was about 15 I had something called chronic pain syndrome which was a series of things that built up to my body was like actually Beth you just need to stop and I'm gonna stop you by really making your joints ache (laughs) I was on crutches I had to kind of relearn how to walk using physiotherapy and hydrotherapy Mm. at the children's hospital, Alder Hay. That in itself was probably, well, it is huge for any young person. I had to go part-time school and I was at one point bed bound and my mum had to sleep in my room with me and turn me over at night, things like that, because I just couldn't walk. It's very different to normal childhood, which you would expect. So I recovered from there and I went on into college and that transition, I think probably... A few things contributed to that is because I was part-time school, I think your development growing up, that probably took a bit of a hit. And going into college, that's a massive transition in itself. And I also decided to 
move from sixth form and go into a college in Liverpool. You see new things, don't you? You're exposed to different things. That is the point in which diet culture and I was really exposed to poor body image. I think because I'd been so into what I was doing, which was recovering. And then all of a sudden you're looking out and there's all these other girls who are bigger, smaller. You see online, the media, things like that, Mm. who are all telling you you should look a certain way, which I hadn't really been exposed to before. Probably from, I don't know, 16, I left high school. And in two years, I lost a huge amount of weight in a really unhealthy way and really disordered eating habits, which led me into being quite sad, quite lonely Mm. because I'd avoid going out with friends and things like that until I left college, which was two years later. So in two years, I think I went down from almost 14 stone to just below eight. And can I ask you as well, when you're saying about the eating habits, where did that come from? Like, where did you see that? Where did you learn those eating habits? Because like you said, you've got a great support unit, so it's not happened there, you're recovering. So it was that transition in college. Was there anything that you seen that made you kind of start living your life that way? Not that I can think of there was anything that I saw and thought, that's a great way to lose weight. Yeah. What you see online is you see women who on front of magazines or on Instagram and things like that, who all look tiny. And the most logical way you can think of is to stop eating. And that it just makes sense in hindsight, which is a wonderful thing. You look back and realise, actually, that's ridiculous. But because I was very close to mum and dad, Mm -hmm. obviously with previous experiences, I developed binge eating habits. I would go out to college, like, oh, mum, I'm just going to go and get some breakfast on the train. Wouldn't tell her. Wouldn't eat all day. Come home. I'd track how much I'd eaten. I don't want to talk too much about how I did it because I think I don't want to give any any inclination that's the right thing to do. And I would go to the gym and I would burn off how much I'd eaten that day. Come home and then I'd eat my meal because I was so washed away with what I was doing and the results I was getting, which inevitably, if you're not eating, you will lose weight. It was never enough. And I think when you're in that mindset, it will never be enough. Mm. There is never enough weight you can lose. And you'd look at the scales, you'd be like, oh, great, a little bit more weight loss, but I don't look like her. Whoever her was, even if she was eating the same way as me, you will never look the same as her. She might walk differently or her build up up and start stage is so different. A message I push out to people is you can work out and eat exactly the same way as someone else, but you will never look the same. Because we're all not the same people. We have different bodies and that's one of the things that I think is amazing about you now is embracing your body of how it is at such a young age. And I've been there as well with the what you're saying and seeing things in magazine and being in the career that I was in, seeing that kind of 90s stick thin. My body's not like that at all, but I try to replicate that. And that's what you see, don't you? And you see the same body type yeah. as well. Yeah. It's not even like a variety of different mm. shapes and sizes. Yeah. It's just one body type. And if you don't fit that mould, you don't fit that mould. doesn't matter how much you starve yourself or how much exercise you do. You just won't look like that. Kind of the transition outside of that. I Mm. think probably we've never spoken about it fully. My mum and dad saw what I was doing. And I think when someone's in that mindset, you can't hit it head on. Because I think people instantly go into, no, I'm not doing that. Or they just hide more, which I think probably I would have done. I think I would have hidden more, eaten less and tried harder. I started running with my dad. And I think that's how I changed my relationship with exercise because he went in with, you're going to help me. You're going to help me run. So we started couch to 5k. Even though I was going to the gym, I really struggled. My Mm. energy levels were so low. I was neglecting my body so much. And it's only now you look back and think, 
oh my God, mm-hmm. you poor girl. Mm-hmm. You were just running on fumes. Yeah. You just had nothing left. Yeah. But that adrenaline of the weight loss and aiming to look a certain way, yeah. it's just so consuming. So I ran with my dad. We ran three times a week, couch to 5K. Yeah. It's like run 20 seconds, rest yeah. for 60 seconds. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. It and is we, the best way to start uh, running though, isn't it? You know it? what? I recommend it to everyone. <laughs> yeah. It was so good. And we built up from there and we ended up doing 5Ks and I went on to do longer distances, yeah. half marathons and things like that, which I think changed how I perceived food because yes. I then saw it as fuel. Because when I did the marathon last year, that was the thing that unlocked me with food was like what I ate fueled my body to achieve a goal. This is why I think you're amazing because... You're 24 and you've got all this this knowledge and, you know, experience and speak the way you do. I'm 38 and I'm still just, I'm only just getting there. Do you know what I mean? And like I said, last year, it unlocked something where I was like, wow, I need to eat this good food so I can run. But also what I noticed was what it did for my brain. Like I was so much more switched on. I felt so happier. I got more work done. I was more focused. I could be more in the present moment. And I don't think we're taught that about food, are we? Food isn't just what our physical body looks like. It's so attached to how our physical body should look. But what about our brain? I think it's the most important thing that we have. And oh, huge, so huge. So I totally get what you're saying. And I think running really healed me in that way. And as you're saying, it did for you. I mean, I suppose it's changing your relationship with food and how you see it. Even though I don't think my body changed shape too much, I was Mm -hmm. still underweight. And I look back at pictures and think, oh God, you're tiny, Mm. tiny. I started eating because I wanted to run faster or I wanted to be stronger in my running. Yes. Which then you just develop more and more and see more and more of how much food can benefit that. And like you said, fueling the brain as well. I think at that age, I didn't realise But obviously, hindsight, you look back and think, oh my God, I mustn't be able to think straight. Well, like brain fog, everyone just gets used to it. And it's like... I'm starving if I don't eat breakfast. (laughs) I'm the same. I'm literally, I've got snacks in my bag over there. (laughs) I'm like, every two hours I've got to eat. But it's like, it is, it's that brain fog. And and people just get used to it and just go, oh, I've missed lunch today because I've got too much work or, you know, or whatever the excuse is. But that unhealthy relationship with food. When you've had it yourself, you can really see it, can't you? And you Mm. just want to help people out as much as possible but I do think it's people have to come to their own realization with it oh yeah definitely because I think people were in that mindset they will push anything that's not that away totally there's a whole industry based off people's poor eating habits yeah. which is diet culture yeah. and oh, don't even get me started uh, on diet well, culture it drives <laughs> me insane well that's based off people jumping on and off the yeah. bandwagon and yeah. people having poor eating habits yeah. binge eating not eating enough yeah without that the industry would yeah. collapse yeah so People are making money off this and there's a lot of it. And I think if you looked around a room, more often than not, people would have poor eating habits compared to healthy eating habits. Yeah, I agree. I just don't think we're in a society where people see food in the way that it should be. Yeah. Not saying I've got it 100% right because I've not. And I think as a person who's experienced an eating disorder, you go through phases where, for example, maybe a month or two ago, I wasn't eating. I was so tired because at my point in my life, about Mm. two, three months ago, I felt very out of control in a situation I was in and I resorted to using food, which I think if you've had that background, it's really easy to grasp onto something. You grasp onto control, don't you? As humans, we need control and my control is eating. Yeah. Whenever I fall into bad habits, it tends to be my eating that I notice first. And like this time, I didn't even notice. My mum noticed. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. 
I am. Let's get my journal out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get some, I'll get my crystals. Yeah, yeah. Journal crystals, yeah, meditation yeah. wall. Yeah, I'll be okay. all right. <laughs> get me a sandwich. Well, it's amazing that you have got that support unit that just makes you check in with yourself. Uh, yeah. Some people don't have that, but I totally get what you're saying with that whole control thing. Because I go through phases like that of just not eating breakfast and not thinking about it because work gets in the way or something. And I've never really kind of clicked it, but it is, it's a control thing. Oh yeah, 100%. And you'll find people will grasp control wherever they can. In the industry that I'm in, fitness, people will often grasp control over exercise. Yeah. And I won't name them, but I know multiple people who are so religious with their exercise and they will become more religious the more stress they get. We were talking on the train about dogs needing control and routine. We are exactly the same. We need routine and we need control and we will grab that from wherever we can. Mm. And I think if you've fallen, maybe victim's the wrong word, if you've fallen into having food as your comfort or your thing that you grab control of, it's easier to fall into that. And I'm definitely one of those people. Mm-hmm. I easily fall into something and I think it goes from my face and that's why my mum notices. Right. It's like, oh, Beth, you don't look good. You need to, yeah, you need to sort yeah, that out. Yeah, yeah. More often than not, it's because I feel out of control rather than anything else. Yeah. Comfort eating, isn't it? Of course it, it is. Of course it Your is. Your mental health has so many links across yeah, with is. And food, food is such a, a big thing because we sit down to have a nice meal with family. This is the thing we were speaking about the other day, the naughty and the good food. Food. Uh, I hate the labels. Like food is food. Our body doesn't know the difference. It just knows carbs, protein, and fats. Yeah, that's it. That's all yeah. our body knows. So why do we label food? But again, there is companies out there who make a lot of money about having good food and bad food and all that. Which, you know, as working as a PT myself, it's like it's just trying to get rid of that for people. But it's so hard. You come across it so much. And I think when you know more about it, you notice other people's habits about it. Yeah, and it's so deeply ingrained. And really, when you strip it right back to it, and I know this is not really what we're talking about if we go on to nutrition, but you just want moderation. If you have a balance of everything you're eating and drinking, you will lead a healthy lifestyle. Just as much as you live off lettuce, that is not good for you. As much as you live off chocolate the food really helped with the running. And do you feel like the running journey for you really healed that part of your life? I definitely think it healed it to a certain extent. Yeah. I think I had more work to do because I don't think the eating disorder was purely from inside. Mm -hmm. I was unsettled in school and I was unsettled in college. And I think my way of controlling that was controlling what I ate. It's a massive subject of eating disorders and poor relationship with food is huge. I think the very beginnings of it start from your external factors. Mm. And I was quite unhappy. Mm. Not so much in high school. Yeah. I was quite happy and I was happy the way I looked. You didn't even think twice, do you, yeah. at certain points? Yeah. And I was very lucky in the fact that I never even thought twice about how I looked until I went to college. So until mm. about 16, mm. people would say stuff and I'd be like, yeah. I feel great in this outfit. I used to wear my Doc Martens. Yeah. So I was a little bit different in school. Didn't even think twice. Yeah. So when it got to 16 and then it becomes a thing... I think that's just really the beginning of a domino effect. Mm. And I think that stems into so much. So the running and how I viewed food in order to support that was just very a part of yeah. that recovery. Yeah, Because I think also being happy in your surroundings yes. and feeling yeah. accepted, which is huge, isn't it? If you don't feel accepted in where you are, naturally, as a human, you want to feel a part of a tribe. You if do, you we don't, want to be a part of a community, don't oh, yeah. we? It's and like the biggest thing that we can ever want for ourselves is to be part of something. And if you don't feel like that, then that's going to lead to feelings of not feeling worthy enough mm. or questions like, yeah. why do I not feel accepted? Yeah. Which is definitely where I was 
in college? Yeah. Why don't people like me? And that's one of the questions that I never really realised I asked until I spoke to my mum. And she was like, you used to come home and think, why don't people want to be friends with me? I just never understood that social construct mm. of that. And I think that probably built into the eating disorder as well. Yeah. There were so many years that kind of, almost like a tambourine, you know, they just hit each other and then it's like, boom, yeah. here you go. This is how you're going to fix it. That's a plaster, stick it on it. And then the running definitely just started to heal the wound yeah. that was probably being built for a long time. Mm-hmm. So how did you get through that point of college then? Like what was your journey after college or within college? So I was meant to go and be a paediatric nurse. Yeah. So I was all set. I'd gone to view unis. I'd written my personal statement. I was all ready to go. Me and my best friend were both going to go and do paediatric nursing together and we'd set our lives off and we're like going to go and do uni together, live the uni life. (laughs) And I got, you know what, actually, I didn't want it. Just not ready for it. And I think probably after the last five or six years it was, I think I just needed a bit of calm. Mm Mm-hmm. So I left college, got good grades, and I went into a pub, mm-hmm. into a Weatherspoons. Yeah. And I worked my way up the ranks. I am an all or nothing person. Yeah. And I gave my all to the pub. Yeah. yeah. And I worked my way up the ranks quite quickly and I loved it. And it's like someone had flicked a switch in my yeah. brain and all of a sudden I was accepted. I was like for who I was. I became this really quiet girl who didn't really have a lot to say about anything. Oh my God, I was the gobbiest one in there. <laughs> couldn't stop me talking. I love that though. Yeah, couldn't stop me talking. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And that's the point in which I was like, oh my God, must have been something to watch from an outside perspective. Because I think I went from someone who was quite quiet and very insecure mm. to all of a sudden, I was this gobby character in the yeah. pub who had a laugh, had a chat, had a social life. I was out all the time. Yeah. That's all we need to do is accept everybody, no matter who they are, what they are, what they look like, what they say. Open arms and accept because then people can flourish. They can be the best version of themselves. Yeah, and I think that's really what it was. Anyone who's worked in hospitality knows that you kind of become a family. Because the hours are so long and very unsociable, you create quite a unit with who you work Mm -hmm. with. So I socialised and I worked with the same people. That family unit, I don't think I'd had outside of my own family. Yeah. And I think probably that helped me blossom. Yeah. And I really, that was a massive step in zone in who I am today. Yeah. Because I, God, if anyone knows me, I don't stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) You've met your mate with me though. That's that's what we're saying in our training sessions. I was like, I've got to get you on. (laughs) I was speaking to people yesterday and they were like, I don't think everyone has stuff to say. <laughs> I was like, oh, but what? I don't know what to say. Everyone's like, no, you'll be fine. No, you'll be fine, honestly. We could talk yeah. all day. <laughs> that transition into the pub, I think, pushed that recovery from the eating disorder a little bit further because yeah. you've got the how you view food. And then externally, I felt accepted for yeah. who I was. And I went out and socialised and I, was, I had friends and I had yeah. people I could trust. And I just felt comfortable in who I was. Yeah. And I actually think probably that time in the pub probably saved me from being very unhappy for a really long time. The journey you took yourself on, you knew that going to be a paediatric nurse wasn't going to be the right avenue for you. So but then in that you, moment, I didn't know. Yeah. But it's funny, isn't it? This is where I always say, like, our life is mapped out for us. Oh. And it's about us sometimes just taking the foot off the gas and just flowing with what's going to come. So it actually turned out that was probably the best decision I could have made going there. There's so much irony in this. While I was working at the pub, I had 
a mole on my chest and I just went very casually to go and get it checked out. It turns out it was all very sinister and it kind of happened one thing after another. Uh, so I got diagnosed with skin cancer when I was 18. It just so happened that Weatherspoons is sponsored by the charity who supported me. Honestly, oh Gemma, gosh. it was so coincidental. <gasps> we had a charity day organised for a charity who were called Click Sergeant. Mm-hmm. They're now called Young Lives Versus Cancer. A charity day arranged for a month's time, for example. Yeah. In that month's time, I'd got a mole checked. I got a biopsy. A week later, I got a call to say it was a type of skin cancer. But it's one that spreads. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's quite rare being right. 18. And then a week later, I was doing a charity event for this charity. You can't write it. Yeah. Bizarre. Back to, we have our life planned out for us. And I don't think, if I'd gone to university, I yeah. would have had to drop out anyway. But I didn't. I went to a pub who just so happened to be supported by that. By that charity? Yeah. Crazy. And again, in that whole experience, I was very supported by yeah. my team in the pub. I had a lovely manager. She was ace. She was brilliant. Mm. She came around to my house. She made sure I had everything I needed. She was brilliant. Mm. And I had to take time off work and things like that. Yeah. That in itself which I've talked about on Instagram, we've talked yeah. about as well, is probably another stepping stone into, believe it or not, my recovery into the eating disorder and yeah. how I view my body. Really stood out for me on your Instagram because you have got a scar on your chest, haven't yeah. you? And you said you said on your Instagram, you know, you notice people looking at your scar and that's absolutely fine because it's a scar. Oh, of course yeah. people will look at it. Where most people would be upset by that or get offended by it. And that was something that really stood out to me. I was just like, wow. Before I I knew you, like, wow, what a way to look at life and to look at things like that. Instead of like being upset about it, it's accepting it. And like you say, your scars there, isn't it? And that opinion hasn't happened overnight either. That's been Mm. five years in the making. So I remember when I first got it, it was very slight. So it's just very small biopsy at Uh first. And that in itself... I've got very pale skin. So big red mark will stand out. And I remember going to a friend's house and she looked at my chest, the whole, my scar, the whole time I was there and couldn't look at my face. And it was the most bizarre thing ever. And I felt very upset and I felt very, maybe angry is the wrong word, Mm. but I just didn't understand. I thought, I'm still me. You can Mm. still chat with me. And it very much, I think at the beginning felt that that became my identity. It, it, It did really, because... That's all I could think about. It was from June to, I think I got the all clear in October. Yeah. That was all I could think about. That was everything. My scar was physically painful. Mm. It was there all the time. Yeah. I got a wider incision, which is why it's quite big. It keloided. So it was a very painful scar. So it was everything. And I'd gone to a friend and that's all she could think about as well. Mm. At the beginning, it was very much like, this is it. This is who I am. And I am the girl with a massive scar on my chest. And I can't get away from that. And it was a negative. Again, I'm very supportive. I have such an amazing support base yeah. at home. We actually call it Mater's Dents. So if you've ever seen Cars, the children's film, my brother loved Cars. And there's a character in there called Mater. Okay. And he has dents. He's a um, tow truck. Yeah. And he has dents and they tell a story. And that's what this is. Oh. This is a Mater's Dent. It all tells a story. That's so and that's beautiful. how it's been pitched to me ever since I, so even at 18, that's how it was. As a family unit, it was, right, okay, Beth, this is what you've got. You're not going to change it. Be sad because it's scary, but you've got to find a way to see a positive in it because actually it's only going to make you stronger. I know that phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, can be a bit toxic and some people don't really like it. Yeah. Um, But 
part of me does really agree with that. I agree with that. I think once you've gone through the process and you're on the other side, yeah. I think you can accept that. Even today, I mean, I'm very lucky. I actually was there the other week. The nurses were blown away about how well it's faded. It was very red, very angry. You just go to the shop, people would address my scar and they still do it now. You, you notice it more in summer because obviously you wear crop tops yeah. and things like that. First thing they'll do is they'll look at my scar, then look at me or my face. And I don't think that will ever feel normal. I'll still be walking down the street and I'll be with the person like, they've just they've just looked at my scar and I don't feel angry Mm. or I actually don't feel anything Mm. because like we said it's very normal what I'd like to change is how people perceive that and not be scared to look at it because actually that's okay but ask me about it speak about it because it is different and people are so scared aren't they to be open or to kind of say oh what what is that because they don't want to offend no exactly don't say anything wrong just keep everything nice don't you know and it's and sometimes that again can be quite toxic, can't it? It's different person to person, isn't it? Because some people very much are very insecure. And I think if you pointed it out, that would be wrong. By the same token, I say, ask me about it. I also understand why people don't. Yeah. Because some people don't respond well with that. I'm very much open to talk about it. Mm. It is very much visible. I'm never going to hide it unless I wear a turtleneck top. I think it's beautiful though. Yeah. It's got freckles on it that have spread oh, across gorgeous. the whole thing. So, so it's all very cool. And it looks, it's very faded now compared to what it was. But then it's always going to be there. And I think I like it, but it is very much part of me. And that's a massive part of me. I can't hide behind anything yeah. because that's what people see straight away. That's what's developed my relationship with my body. When I got the scar, in that moment, I instantly will never look like the ideal body type. No one on magazines has big red scars on the chest. It's getting better. Yeah, Don't get it me is wrong. Getting it's getting better. There are stretch marks on ASOS, and, yeah. which is amazing to see. Yeah. And I love seeing because I do think it makes people feel more accepted. Mm-hmm. And I think the change we've seen in the last five years, I'd, yeah, say, I'd say, has that. been humongous, mm-hmm. hasn't it? Yeah. Really, absolutely huge. When I had that scar across my chest, I had to find a way to be okay with not looking like everyone else. Yeah. Because I will never look like everyone else. From a complexion perspective. Or I'll probably never feel like anyone else because to me, that scar will feel very much more obvious than anyone else. Mm. I think some of my friends will say they don't even notice it's there. Yeah. You know, because they they don't look at it. So I think from that point, I had to learn that no matter how much I dieted, how much I exercised, I will never look like the girls on the front of magazines. This is again, five years in the making, this opinion. That's really been what's put cherry on the cake. You have to exercise to feel good and to feel strong and not to look a certain way. So I think there's been so many building blocks Mm. to get us to that point. I'm not saying I'm at the epitome of it because I don't think you get to a certain point, you stay there forever. Because I think you put an outfit on and go, oh God, I've got a bit of a lump there I didn't have before. Mm. Or, oh God, my these t- jeans feel so tight and that is normal as yeah. females our weight fluctuate monthly yeah of course <laughs> um, it does some days you'll put a pair of jeans on I'm not gonna lie I put these jeans on today the biggest task of a bum in the jeans <laughs> and I was like <laughs> was you oh, like dancing around God. trying to get them on <laughs> before I got the train I, I was the like jean dance. stretching to try and get my leg in there <laughs> and then like, you're doing a few squats <laughs> just to just get them with the stand up <laughs> I don't think there's ever an end point to that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's always up and down. And as we spoke about before, there's so many things that contribute to that as well. What your environment says, what your eating habits say, how your exercise is, will all contribute how you feel and what you look like. And I don't think there is an end place, actually. I think it's a continuous journey. And that's what I was saying. Like, I'm 38 and I've only probably doing the marathon last year unlocked the whole nutrition food thing that I probably never realised was quite 
toxic for me. Only now I look back and yeah. I'm 38 and I'm like, wow, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, and obviously I was in the TV industry. I was on red carpet. So I did silly diets to get in a certain dress. And if it wasn't perfect, I would be freaking out before getting on a red carpet. I'd have such anxiety before getting on a red carpet. Like I fainted once because I was that nervous about how I looked on a red carpet. It's so hard having all this in your face, like seeing magazines and trying to fit in a box. I feel like now I've got to a point where, especially with exercise, like we just mentioned about nutrition, but with exercise, again, doing the marathon, it kept me going. I have muscly thighs and a bum. And before I would stop because I'm going, oh, they're getting too muscly. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah. But that's my natural body. Also, that's going to help you run. Exactly. <laughs> so when I was running, I kept going because I had yeah. to because I had the marathon to do. But beforehand, I'd have stopped training and gone back to doing loads of cardio or not yeah. training, where again, that healed me with my exercise. Because now like I've come back training, doing weights because I want to be strong. I'm not bothered about what I look like. And I know it's yeah. really weird to say, but I really am not bothered about what I look like. It's about me feeling stronger. That's my aim to train again, but to eat better so my brain feels great and to be happy. My main thing is to have every single day and be happy and be in a present moment and just yeah. enjoy life. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's probably a blanket statement, body positivity mm. and body positivity can be taken wrong. And there is parts of body positivity you see online and actually it's being used in a negative way. Mm. Mm -hmm. There is also an element, and I realised this once I'd posted on Instagram about basically what I've just spoken about, yeah. is as humans, we aim to look attractive so we can procreate. That is within our DNA. That's yeah. what we're here to do. So after I said, I don't think I care about how I look, I thought, I really like looked inside and I was like, do I care what I look like? Because really it's part of us that we should care mm. what we look like so we can look our best, so we can find a partner, so we can create a family and mm. all that kind of stuff. This is how my brain works. <laughs> I was like, but are we in a day and age now where we don't need that? Which we don't. And I think also that's another massive change that we've found is yeah. I don't think I feel any pressure to be with someone. So I don't feel like I need to change how I look to impress someone. Exactly. I think probably at the moment I don't have time for one. <laughs> <laughs> but also, don't you think that we should want to look a certain way or feel a certain way for us? Yeah, because I think that's the journey I've been on. I don't think I ever had any self-love and I don't think I had any like self-compassion or anything. I was always doing all that other stuff and yeah. doing the diets, overtraining, wearing certain dresses for external validation. Oh, which is, I think is where a lot of eating disorders and unhealthy totally. eating habits stem from, isn't totally. it? Totally. And it took me to nearly 40 to kind of go, no, it's like the first time that I've gone, I do everything now for me. Anyone can go, oh, you don't look great or whatever. I go, okay, no pops. Yeah, thanks. That's right. I and it's probably great. a reflection of them exactly. and how they feel. Exactly. I'm like, well, I feel great. Yeah. Like, I have to say it's, you know, it's been a 10 year journey for me. And, and, you know, obviously with mind and wellness and it's the meditation, the working on yourself to really love myself. And it's so underrated that work on yourself as well. Yeah. People don't realise how so much contributes to how your brain works now. And sometimes there is a little bit of unwiring to do. Yeah. And how much that can benefit you. Totally. And it benefits everything. Relationships, totally. work, career. Yeah. Just how you see like day-to-day -day life. Yeah. 
it's interesting that you said the unwiring because mine stems back to when I was at school. I was a really confident kid. I always knew I wanted to act. I had a mum who was really supportive, you know, a brother and sister, a dad. And I just always not love myself, but I was always quite comfortable in my own skin. And then at seven, I got a diagnosis with dyslexia, which we've we've spoke about. And I think that was like the first hit for me where then I kind of went into myself and got a bit, oh God, I don't know who I am now. Like this label is potentially different. And then I would like wear different clothes and be a bit outrageous. And I got really badly bullied for it. And I think it was like comments like, oh, Gemma, who does she think she is? And that's where the wiring happened of me dulling myself down and not being my true self. So I think that over so many years, I probably attacked myself and attacked myself. And I don't think I had any self-love. No, and you keep building on that as well. So you literally keep reinforcing the barriers in which you've created totally and that's why it all stems to like high school high school, high school is, is a worst such thing. a massive part of your development oh, and I don't think people even realize no I remember speaking to a friend she was really struggling and I was like I don't think I meant to therapy her but I think I ended up therapying her <laughs> <laughs> I was like did you struggle in high school and she's like yeah but that doesn't matter that was years ago mm, I'm like oh it, but it you? does matter it does matter it does matter because it wasn't until, and I realised this when I did therapy for the first time, mm. about a year or two ago, mm-hmm. she stopped me and said, right, Beth, everything you feel right now is exactly what you said you felt in high school. Yeah. I felt lonely. I felt insecure. Mm-hmm. I felt unwanted. And she said, this is exactly how you felt in high school. Yeah. And you're using exactly the same coping mechanisms, except your kind of your daily stress and the amount that impacts is more than what it was in high school. So it's going to present itself more. It's the inner child work as well. I love inner child. (laughs) (laughs) Which we go on, you know, because I've had a lot of hypnotherapy, which now I'm training to become a hypnotherapist. And the inner child work is so interesting because we went back to my subconscious and it was in the school playground and I wore this outfit and I got bullied for it. And it's funny, like that I've been holding on for so many years that I felt like I couldn't just be me. Yeah. And it's like, it does, it does stem from high school if you didn't fit in with a crowd, whatever label people want to use, because this whole normal, like you want to be normal to fit in. What is normal? What, what is normal? What is normal? That's such a massive it? question. What, what is, is normal? normal? <laughs> it's like, you what know, what does it look like? Shouldn't we all just be celebrated for who we are, no matter what we want to do, how we want to feel, what we want to say. And my kind of thing, that since I've gone through my whole journey and this whole self-love and accepting myself and compassion, is like, I'm not dulling down my sparkle for anyone. Nope. No more. And it's like, I'm just going to shine bright. And if you don't like it... It's usually a reflection on them. Exactly. But it's just like, yeah. if you don't like it, just go the other way. Yeah. Like, I've got my tribe and that's, yeah. you know, that's all you need, isn't oh, it? Oh, that quote vibe attracts your tribe exactly I never have I felt that quote more than I felt the last two years oh my god it's amazing and you attract different people that's why I set up mind and wellness to have a community that people can come together and be themselves and there's no judgment they can say what they want they might be having a really bad day and they want to have a little cry on a call with us all that's fine do it and that all stems from vulnerability yeah that vibe attracts your tribe Mm. I was listening to something the other day actually I can come out and say, oh, yeah, actually, I'm quite insecure about my scar. And and I will attract people who resonate with that. Whereas if I come out and say, 
you know what? Sometimes my scalp bothers me. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm quite gobby, but sometimes I really need a nap midday yeah. because I run out of energy and my social batteries are down. Then you'll attract people who resonate with that. If you take off all of your layers and you're yeah. completely vulnerable, you attract the people who resonate with you the most and that's where you create the best relationships and bonds with people. Yes. Being vulnerable creates those really special and intimate, not intimate, relationship intimate, mm-hmm. strong relationships with people yeah. and friends that you'll have for life because you've been vulnerable yeah. and you've had those scary conversations mm-hmm. and you feel accepted. And really, that is so special. It feels like a warm hug, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Feel ex- accepted. Totally. It's interesting that you say that word, the, the vulnerability, because whenever I bring that up in like courses I've done or like in one of the courses, I have a full week um, module on vulnerability and they go, oh, I can't be vulnerable. I've been taught not to be vulnerable all my life because my it's, it's a weakness. And I'm like, once we lean into vulnerability and have courage to get through it, it's like your superpower. Uh, it is. And I think probably what's elevated my business in the last year mm. has been that vulnerable because yeah. people think, oh, she can be vulnerable. That means I can be vulnerable yeah. with her. Or... I can be then vulnerable. That doesn't look that scary. Mm. That means I can do it. It's breaking that down because like you said, we have been geared to, oh no, I can't admit that I'm sad because that looks like I'm weak and I can't be weak, which I've been there. Mm. When I first got my cancer diagnosis, I can't cry because it's just skin cancer. Everyone gets skin cancer. It's nothing. Mm. So I can't admit weakness and I can't admit that it bothers me and Mm. I'm fine. Oh, Oh, that phrase. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. It's the same happened to me when my dad died. Like my dad died very, very suddenly and I had to go straight back into work and play a character. And I remember someone going, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. And it was just to get through the day. Yeah. If I say it fast enough, it's even more yeah. fine. It's fine. Two years later, it caught me up because oh, I hadn't does. dealt with it. You know what I mean? And that's a, it's a whole nother subject is grief. You know what I mean? Yeah. What it does to you. But once I started kind of opening up about it and talking about it and especially to other people you realize that there's so many people that have gone through your story or similar stories and have come out the other side and that's the thing if anyone is listening you do get through it you've just got to have that support and you've got to believe in yourself and never be on your own like never be on your own and don't feel silly for opening up or weak or anything like that it's the bravest thing you can do isn't it to open up and and find people Well, following up from that, I'm fine. And by no means is what I've just described the last 10 years or so a sob story because it's not. And it's built me to who I am today. And I actually feel like I'm quite a solid person now. Mm. I hadn't admitted that any of that was difficult. Mm. I'd all brushed off. It was fine. I got bullied in school. Fine. It's their problem. Mm. And you're just reciting what people are telling you. It's a reflection on them. I'm fine. It doesn't bother me. I'll just let it bash off. That eating disorder, I'm fine now. Skin cancer, nothing. I'm fine. Mm. It was last year, just after COVID. And all of that, I'm fine, had gathered and gathered and gathered and gathered. gathered, And then it came and it just washed me completely. Mm. And I burnt out. Yeah. Just after COVID, we came back. I had to take time off work. I actually had to resort to medication, which Mm. was my absolute last resort. Mm. I've experienced generalised anxiety disorder Mm. from 15. I'd done everything. Journaled. I've done some hypnotherapy, I've done CBT, mm. I've done meditation, cold water therapy, everything. Yeah. And it got to the point where I just had nothing left to give. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. And that would been because I'd said, I'm fine for so long, so long. So it's like eight years in the lead yeah. up. I'm fine, I'm fine. And then my body and my mind has said, Beth, actually, you're not fine yeah. and you're not listening to me. 
and I'm going to make you deal with this now. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you can say you're fine, but your body stops you. Oh, yeah. If you're not listening, to, and this is the whole thing with mind and wellness, it's that body and mind connection. If you keep saying you're fine or you keep ignoring the signs, your body will just take you out. Oh, completely. I've been there with burnout. Your body takes you out. And you know what? I never, I don't think I ever quite understood the impact in which that can have. Yeah. So I kept going. I kept going through lockdown. I kept going. I did, you know, you flip your business online and yeah. and I did everything on Zoom and yeah. I kept going and it became obsessed. Like everyone became obsessed, didn't they? In lockdown mm-hmm. with something. Yeah. I became obsessed with exercise. Yeah. And you keep going, you go in. And I came back to work. And I couldn't, I'm not really like a big tearful person, couldn't stop crying. I was exhausted all of the time. I got weaker and weaker, even though I was eating, I was working the same, but I just didn't have energy. It was bizarre. And my body was saying, you can't do this anymore. You need to stop and you need to deal with what's going on up here. Often link it up to, you know, when kids finish school for Christmas Mm -hmm. and they all get ill. My life had been calm for two years over lockdown. There was nothing really to go uncalm. Kind of within your micro bubble, yeah. your household, you were yeah. fine. And I came back to work and I had nothing mm. at all. Nothing. So I think probably I've done a whole another level of growing in yeah. those last two years yeah. because then you have to dig yourself up from the very bottom. Totally. And rebuild Completely yourself. Completely very bottom. Yeah. yeah. And you've got to rebuild yourself. Yeah. I've been on that journey. Like rebuilding yourself is the most humble thing you can ever go through but you learn it's so hard it is so hard but you learn the most about yourself and you learn how strong you are and everyone's got it in them everyone is this strong and how you keep going forward but I think then when you move forward and I think when you grow again that another layer you just have a completely different outlook on life completely I pretty much scraped myself up from rock bottom. Mm. I had nothing left to give. And mm. I remember sitting on the couch with my mum and said, I just can't do it anymore. I have nothing. Yeah. I don't, I'm not good enough. At my One of my main things, I don't feel good enough at my job sometimes. Don't feel good at my job. I've connected myself so closely with that job role that if I'm not good enough at my job, who even am I? Yeah. Identity, isn't it, to work? Yeah, huge. And because I'd had such a up and down with my health on the lead up to that, yeah. that was a massive equation. So I, I struggled with quite severe health anxiety. Mm-hmm. Well, it's only going to be a matter of days before I'm diagnosed with the next thing. So oh, that's gosh. it. So all of those things that probably were happening on a very subconscious level had gone clap. Yeah. And they got me. Yeah. And I did just have to stop. Yeah. And like you said, just rebuild from the very beginning. And I think... You almost, now I see this online and I go, oh God, it's so cringe. But you literally are reborn. And I feel like I am not the person who I was before yeah. lockdown. Albeit sometimes I look at her and go, oh, I wish I was a little bit more like her. Mm. So in hindsight, if you open your journal now, what would you tell your younger self? I think I would tell her to trust, trust the timing. Everything will be okay. One of my things my mum told me, which I think is probably what got me to where I am, Everything will be okay. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Yes. And you will be okay. Mm. Just keep going. You got it? Yeah. One, keep moving. One foot in front of the other. Even if it's slow. Yeah. One foot in front of the other. Because it does. Everything does work out. Yeah. And I do find that sometimes life can look so daunting and overwhelming. Mm. And that's another thing. Little bits at a time. Yeah. Little bits at a time. And it will all work out. God, the things you learn. I couldn't recommend people to go to therapy more mm-hmm. um, because you learn so yeah, much, don't you? You do. Yeah. And it's just a mirror, basically. Yeah. You look at yourself and go, oh, actually, you need to do that because yeah. you're really not going to get very much further 
if you are doing this as a I totally mechanism. agree. And it's the whole thing of the identity to work. Like that is a complete <sighs> separate chat yeah. because I had that. I had so much identity with what I did and who I was that when that went, it's just like, who am I now? Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, which is again, huge. it's like, like you said, you like when you go through all this, you are reborn as a completely different person. And I do the same. I look back at myself and go, because I can't, work a lot in the sense that I used to work 70 hours and then go on a red carpet, then go to this event and then do that. And now I, I realise it was ridiculous because I was just living in adrenaline, cortisol. Yeah. And I and I was that person when I stopped at Christmas, I was sick. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. But sometimes I look back and go, oh, I wish I could I could do all that. because I, I get have very, those energy levels. Yeah, because I yeah. get exhausted quite a yeah, lot. Yeah. But what I find now, I'm in such a more of a balance with my life in the sense that when I'm busy, I know then I have to take some time out to recharge myself. And I'm yeah. like, I say this to people all the time. It's like a, a phone. You don't not put it on charge. Yeah, so yeah. why do we keep working, 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 going out, doing this, doing keep that? Pouring out. You're not charging yourself up because in society, it's like, if you do nothing, you're lazy. Well, yeah. no, we should be able to sit. Yeah. Be quiet. Like the people that say to me, I go, do you meditate? Oh, do you know me to sit still? And it's like, but you have to, but I was that person. I could never yeah. sit still. I could never breathe. I could never just close my eyes, but meditation has been the key for me to get me through everything I've got through. It is just a daily habit for me now when yeah. I've got to do it. But then I found things like reading a book and never used to do that. Now I find so much peace in sitting and reading mm. and not always be doing it's a calm head, that isn't it? Yeah. Calm head, having the capacity to sit down and focus on yeah. one thing. The thought of, oh my God, I don't have 10 minutes to sit down. Life is so busy. But and if we can scroll on Instagram, oh, we can meditate for five that. minutes. If you've got time to scroll, <laughs> my favourite one is got time to scroll, got time to stretch. Yes! <laughs> stretch that. your glutes, people. <laughs> no, I do. Like, when my clients say, I've not met, I go, have you meditated when they're like, I'm having a bad day? Have you meditated? No, I've not got time. I, have you been scrolling today? Like, I'm the worst. <laughs> I have friends. I love friends. I think to myself at the end of the day, oh, I should have meditated more, but I haven't had time. Beth, have you watched an episode of Friends? Yeah. Oh yeah, I could have meditated. Let me ask you this, this probably is one of our last questions. Like how much do you feel like your journey now helps people who train with you? I like to think I have a massive influence. Mm. Partly because everything I've learnt, I hope that I mirror onto other people yeah. and show that, I said this to a client the other day, actually. I think it was as simple as I'd, I had held a handstand. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, if I can do it, anyone can do it. I really meant that. Yeah. It's like I've stemmed from not being able to walk. And then now I've worked so hard and I can hold a handstand. Yeah. And I know that's a very simple thing. It's just like, it's throwing not yourself, not simple, but you not know what I mean? <laughs> Don't be, don't be getting me to do handstands. Do not try that at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do not try that at home. <laughs> but like, but yeah, your gym's all about handstands. And I've already said, I love handstands. I've already said, I'm not doing any handstands. I get scared of going upside down. <laughs> but if I can go from that, or to the lowest of the lowest, yeah. in like a kind of a, a big spell of depression, and then I can go from that, or anxiety, not being able to leave the house. Yeah. To then sit on a sofa in front of some cameras and a microphone and talking, yeah. then you can do anything. You can do anything. You can like absolutely do anything. I hope that message is put across mm. from how I put myself across in work, in sessions and online. Yeah. yeah. I think, well, I'd like to think that comes across. I think you're doing that anyway. That's why I was so like 
gravitated towards you and your <laughs> energy. And when we got into a session with each other, we just like chatted, didn't we? And we were like about the brain. Like, Gemma, we really need yeah, to do some work yeah. now. <laughs> Let's stop talking about the brain and your own pathways. I do love a good chat when uh. I'm training. I forget about what I'm doing. I'm just so in awe of you being... 24 and being the way you are and that's why I wanted to get you on for a chat today because I knew it was going to be such an amazing chat and inspirational but I feel like we've chatted for so long I know and we've not even covered half it I mean we spoke about a massive part of our conversation with ADHD which I've recently been diagnosed with and obviously talk about briefly generalized anxiety disorder struggles with depression yeah we've just not covered well we're definitely going to have to get you on for the second series would you be up for that to come oh. in and we delve a little bit deeper into those areas of your life as well yeah 100 like we need another episode i was gonna say i we? feel like i feel like i could keep going i know don't we <laughs> honestly this we haven't is even the thing. covered the brain <laughs> i know we need to come back for the brain yeah, yeah. but that's the thing it's um these chats, I just think, you know, if there is anybody out there, like you can, I know it might feel hard at the moment, but you can can get through anything. You really can. You can get through anything. And also it's not just one set thing. Yeah. So your wellness, I mean, this is pretty much the, yeah. the whole subject, isn't it? Yeah. Your wellness is made up of, briefly summarised, mind, body and soul. Totally. And you have to look after all three of those totally. in order to get the epitome, which is, for example, happiness, which isn't a constant state, but again, yeah. that's another subject. But, but no, that's what I was saying. Like, this is why I set up mind and wellness, because I don't want people to just think of their external body and just training, because that's what I did for so many years. Yeah. Your mind is so Huge. powerful and so connected to it. So I think you're so right there. You know, the mind, body and soul connection, just it makes you feel complete. So yeah, I just want to say a huge thank you for coming on. And if anyone wants to start following you or come training with you, where can they find you? So my Instagram is Beth Costello PT, and I work from a gym called M Gym Personal Training, which is in Formby in Liverpool. Thank you so much, Beth, thank for coming you for having on. Me. It's just been gorgeous. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. The Mind and Wellness Recap. Episode four was both inspirational and emotional. The Mind and Wellness podcast is almost complete. And in our fifth and final episode, we chat to life coach and mentor, Alistair Gray, and have a look back at a few key points that we've learned in this series. Via Instagram and TikTok, if you search at Mind and Wellness UK, you'll get exclusive content and information on how to access the gym membership for your mind. See you next week for the last episode of the Mind and Wellness podcast in this series. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button to get notifications for any future episodes and bonus content. Get exclusive content, help and advice on Instagram and TikTok. Search at Mind and Wellness UK.